0: Excellent song, excellent reminder, and uh, thank you, Maggie. I hope that is your prayer, and let's uh, begin with a word of prayer towards that end. God, I pray that you will help us as we look into your word today. Lord, I pray that that will be accomplished through uh, my life, even as I preach this morning, that you will be glorified, that you will be exalted. Lord, that this will not be about us here this morning, but it will be about who you are and what you have done. Lord, we thank you again. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Take your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 17. Luke chapter 17. We'll be in verse 11 here in a moment. Luke chapter 17. What will this Thursday mean to you? To some of you, yesterday uh, our family went out to lunch and the the waitress was asking us what we're doing for Thanksgiving and we were telling her and she said that Thanksgiving is her favorite day of the year because she gets to eat as much as she wants without feeling guilty. So maybe for some of you Thanksgiving is lots and lots and lots of food. Maybe for some of you it's watching a parade or football. Maybe for some of you, it's the beginning of the Christmas shopping season, and you're going to eat a lot and then go shop. Maybe to some of you, it means family. But hopefully, all of those things encourage you to be thankful for the, to the God who gave you all of those blessings. How do you express your thankfulness, though? I heard a story about two men. They were walking through the field one day when they spotted an enraged bull across the field. Instantly, they darted to the nearest fence that they could get to and they were running as fast as they could, but they realized that the storming bull was gaining ground and they were in trouble. So one who uh, turned to the other in terror as they were running full speed and said, John, pray for us. Please, John, pray for us. John responded, I can't. I've never prayed in public before. The other one said, but you must. If you don't, this bull's going to catch up to us and it's going to kill us. And John said, all right, I'll say the only prayer I've ever heard, the only one that I know, and it's the one that my father used to say every day. Oh Lord, for what we are about to receive, make us truly thankful. I don't think that's what, um, you know, we're talking about when we say be thankful and give thanks to God. But really, thankfulness, a lot of times, is a matter of perspective. You know, you have one person that is thankful for something very small because they have nothing, and over here you have someone who has a lot, and they get that small thing, and they're not thankful. It's a matter of perspective. I heard another story about uh, a family in Budapest in, in Hungary, and the man went to the rabbi, he he went to the, his rabbi and he said, uh, Rabbi, my life is unbearable. We're poor and there's nine of us living in a one-room house. What can I do? The rabbi thought for a moment and in wisdom said, take your goat into the room with you. The man was shocked. "Well, Why would I do that? Do as I say and come back in one week. A week later, the man comes back, looking even more distraught than before. He says, we can't stand it. The goat is filthy. The goat is noisy. The goat smells. We can't stand it anymore. The rabbi says, go home and let the goat out. Come back in a week. A week later, the joyous man returns to the rabbi, exclaiming, life is beautiful, Every day we enjoy spending time together, and there's no goat in our house, just the nine of us, and it's wonderful. It's again, it's a matter of perspective. But let me ask you a question, what are you thankful for? That's a question you'll probably ask yourself this week, or maybe you'll sit around the table as a family and say everyone has to say one thing they're thankful for, and what are the common answers you may hear? Some will say, hey, I'm thankful for my health. I'm thankful for my family, I'm thankful for my home, I'm thankful for my friends, I'm thankful for my church. You may say a number of different things. What I want to challenge you with this year is to to dig a little deeper. To go a little more in depth with what you're thankful for. Not to say that those things aren't things we should be thankful for. Obviously they are, but I think there's so much more that we can be thankful for. And I think those are the common answers that you give. But I want you to think a little deeper. Maybe this year you can be thankful for things like like we mentioned last week, the sovereignty of God, that God is in control. We can be thankful for the omnipotence of God, that God is all-powerful, and that because God is all-powerful, He can do anything. We can be thankful for the forgiveness of God, that although none of us deserve it, God forgave you if you are here today redeemed. We can be thankful for the love of God. And So many people live as if no one loves them, and yet God does. You know, those around us, even our family, even those that love us the most, sometimes their love fails, but God's love never fails. But then we can be thankful for the one that's been on my mind constantly lately is the grace of God. That God... Sent his, gave his grace to us, even though we didn't deserve it. Why should we be thankful for the grace of God? Well, really, a couple of things quickly here, because first of all, uh, by the grace of God, we have all those other things that we're talking about. We have uh, a home, we have a family, we have our health, we have all of that because of the grace of God, but also because without the grace of God, you would not be saved. Since the beginning of September, we have been involved in a series called Behold your God. Behold our God. And we're looking at attributes that makes God great. We're looking at attributes that makes God wonderful. And today, uh, we are going to emphasize Thanksgiving. That is going to be the topic of my message. But I I wanted to uh, coincide that with uh, the idea of talking about the greatness of God, and I want to highlight specifically the grace of God. Now, about three weeks ago, we had Reformation Sunday. Some of you remember on Reformation Sunday, I spoke on the grace of God. So it might seem like I'm I'm doubling up. But really, what I want to do is, on, on that Sunday, we talked about the grace of God in its in its um, deepest sense but here I want to talk about how do we respond to the grace of God what is our response natural response to the grace of God and so take your Bibles and look at a passage that's probably familiar to many of you especially especially when you talk about the area of thanksgiving and that is Luke chapter 17 and I'm going to start reading in verse 11 on the way to Jerusalem, he, that's Jesus, was passing along between Samaria and Galilee, and as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers, who stood at a distance and lifting up their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourself to the priest. And as they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice and fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, Were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Rise and go your way. Your faith hath made you well. I'm going to look at three aspects of, of response to grace first of all we see the undeservedness of grace i don't know if that's a real word if it isn't i just made it up but the undeservedness of grace the reality is is you and i don't deserve god's grace that's the point of it we'll get into that more in a minute but i want you to notice the circumstances of this story at this point in the life of jesus he had his fame had spread throughout all of israel He was known for his miracles. Everywhere he went, he would perform miracles, and people would talk about these miracles and and how powerful they were. But more than that, he was known for his teaching. He would stand up in front of huge crowds, and people would be in awe of him for hours and hours and hours listening to this man's wisdom. He was even known for his controversy. He would say things that just would blow the minds of the people of that day. Like, how, how can this guy say such things? And there was such power in his words that they were just awestruck by him. Most likely, his reputation had preceded him into each town that he entered. Everywhere he went, he went into the town and, and word would begin to spread quickly. Jesus is here. Jesus is here. And it didn't take long for people to understand who he was and what he had done. And so this, the excitement would build. And here in this story, we see Jesus is traveling from Galilee to Jerusalem. It's not really clear from this passage exactly where he was. It, it's kind of an interesting wording there where it says that he was between Samaria and Galilee. It's, it's possible that he was um, already entering into Samaria. It's possible that, uh, which most scholars believe, is that as he came down from Galilee, hit the border of Samaria, and he was kind of uh, going uh, east, and then he was going to head down the Jordan River possibility as well we don't we don't know but the understanding is that there was going to be some interaction with the samaritans remember the jews and the samaritans do not get along and so most of the time jews would not go anywhere near samaria or anywhere near samaritans they but not jesus jesus proved that a time and time again now up to this point jesus had had some good interactions but also he had a a couple of times where there wasn't great interactions with the Samaritans. You, you remember the story with the woman at the well. That was a good interaction where he came and, and, and uh, he shared with her the, the good news. And, and because of that, she believed and it impacted her village in a great way. But we see after that, there's a, just a little bit before this. In, in Luke, there's a time when, when Jesus sends his disciples into a Samaritan village to find a place for them to stay. And the Samaritan village rejected them so it's uncertain, again, um, how this interaction will go, but Jesus knew that he needed to go through that. And so as he's, as he's traveling along, the Bible tells us he comes, and what, is, what do we see? Verse 12, And as he entered a village, again, we don't know exactly where this village was, but it says he was met by ten lepers. Have you, you've heard what lepers are before, but leprosy was a, was a horrible, horrific disease. It's not something we really have a huge problem with in our world today there's still some places where it does impact people but it's not what it was uh, then and it was a horrific disease it's a bacterial infection that begins with some brownish red spots and then what happens is these these spots appear all over the body mainly the face ears arms and thighs these uh, these things come on and then, then what happens is loss of tissue begins to come and before long that loss of tissue causes deformity. You see someone that has leprosy, many times you'll see their hands just look like stubs. Their face is missing what we would think of making them a normal human being and it was a hideous disease. It was one that uh, they it was extremely scary to them. It was also extremely contagious. It was so contagious that they felt that even if they were in the presence of someone that had leprosy, that they were going to contract this horrific disease, and so because of that, they stayed as far away as they could. In fact, if you read through the law, it was actually commanded the distance that they were supposed to stay from away from these individuals. This disease had no cure. And so one who was... Uh, who contracted this disease, was basically doomed for life to live a horrible existence. Therefore, because of all this, as I said, in biblical times, lepers were rejected and they were treated as outcasts. They were required to live outside of the city, away from family, friends, home, and their religion. In the passage there, it says that these ten guys who travel around together, it says they stood at a distance. And that's interesting to note that they knew the, the law and they knew they couldn't come near Jesus, but it's, it's probably true that even, as close, even though they got close enough to speak meant they probably were still closer than they should have been. And what do they do? Notice what it says there. It says they come in and they lift up their voice together saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. They begged for mercy. Jesus, please have mercy on us. What is mercy? Mercy is God not punishing us for sins that we have done. It's removing a a punishment that we deserve and taking it away from us. See, one of the views of Jesus the people of that time, we see this in other interactions that Jesus had throughout the New Testament, was one of the views is they believed that if someone got a disease, that they got this disease because they had of something they had done wrong, because of sin in their lives. Remember the story where there's the lame man and they, said, they came to Jesus and they said, who sinned? Was it him or was it his parents? How did he get this? And, and, and so a person who had a disease, especially a disease as horrific as leprosy, meant that obviously this was a wicked person. And so, that was another reason they were treated like outcasts. Their family didn't want them around. No one wanted them around, because not only did they have this horrible disease, but it meant that that they probably were a horrible person and they should not be around anyone. Maybe the reality is, is they had sinned in a great way. We don't know. We know that other places in Scripture tell us that trials come, even even if we are living in a way that is pleasing to God. We see that with individuals in Scripture. So it is not that just because they had sinned in a great way, it's not because they were wicked sinners that God had sent this, it's just God had sent it. But that's why they pleaded with God for mercy. Because they had heard so often in their lives that You are not only are you horrible because you have the disease, but it must be because God's judgment is on you. And so they're coming to God, and they have this in the back of their mind that says constantly to them over and over again, what have I done that causes this judgment? What have I done that causes this judgment? And so in the light of that, when they come face to face with one that they have heard have done all these great miracles, and one that has done this amazing teaching, they come to a realization that maybe He's their only hope. And so they begin to beg Him for mercy. And that was just Jesus' response. In verse 14, And when He saw them, He said to them, Go and show yourself to the priests. He says to them, I want you to go to the priests. Now what's the significance of this? In the, in the Bible times, they, uh, when a person had leprosy, in order to be a part of, of normal life, They had to be declared clean by the priests. So this was a normal thing if they were to be declared clean for them to go back into their normal lives. And so Jesus tells them, go and declare it. But then look what it says next. And as they went, they were cleansed. Now, what's interesting I want you to notice, first of all, is this took a step of faith. I mean, can you imagine the scenario a little bit with uh, you know modern day people today? If they come to Jesus, Jesus have mercy on us, and Jesus responds and says, "Okay, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go down to the church." And I can imagine them stopping and going, "Wait a second, but you haven't healed me yet. I mean, what are you going to do? Why haven't you done anything yet?" And that would be our, our, our response. But what did they do? It said they turned and they began going. And as they began going, suddenly they realized they were healed. A miraculous thing. And so they pleaded with God for mercy. Sorry there. And then this, but the second thing I want you to notice is what God offers them is the gift of grace. Because I believe that this story is not a story of the mercy of God. I believe this story is a story where God gives grace because it's an excellent description of that, because God did not remove leprosy because of mercy. He sh- it was a show of grace. God was giving them something they didn't deserve. What is grace? Grace is undeserved blessing. See, I, think, I hope you notice the difference there. Mercy is saying, I'm going to take away the deserved punishment, but grace is, I'm going to give you undeserved blessing. And so uh, here, it wasn't that they had that because they were being punished. It's because they had that because it was given to them. And And so God said, you know what, Uh, you don't deserve for me to give you this blessing, but I'm going to give you. And what was that blessing? That blessing was to remove from them. See, they were unworthy to come to Jesus, but he received them anyway. They were unworthy to receive his grace, but he gave it freely. They were unworthy to be healed, but he completely healed them because of the grace of God. But here's the thing is God has given each and every one of you grace. Maybe not grace that he removed a horrible disease from you, but but grace in so many ways. Look at what it says in Ephesians. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. How are you saved? If you are here today and you are a child of God, it is because of the grace of God. See, there is nothing you can do to make yourself worthy. See, many people throughout this world think that they are going to do that. In fact, uh, we are uh, the only religion in the world that believes that it's nothing to do with you. People throughout this world are trying to do things to make themselves appealing to God. They're trying to do things. If I just live this way, if I just do this thing, if I just go to church, if I just say this, if I just act this way, God is going to be pleased with me and God is going to allow me into His heaven or His paradise or whatever it is that each religion calls it. But God says it's by grace you are saved. Not of yourself. I don't don't deserve God's grace. I don't deserve the benefits that come from grace. I don't deserve a a home in heaven. I don't deserve anything that God gives me, but He gives it to me because of His grace. The same thing is true for you. God gives you those things. The bad news is that we are never going to be worthy enough on our own. The good news is we don't have to be worthy enough because Jesus Christ became our righteousness, and that is the definition of grace. Three weeks ago on Reformation Sunday, we talked about Martin Luther. Martin Luther said this, God wanted complete and ample satisfaction of his law and his righteousness. Since this was impossible for us to do, God ordained for us In our place, one who took upon himself all the punishments we deserve. That's grace. Martin Luther goes on and said this, He, speaking of Jesus, fulfilled the law for us. He uh, averted the judgment of God from us, and he appeased God's wrath for us. Grace, therefore, cost us nothing, but it cost another much to get, get it for us. Grace was purchased with an incalculable infinite treasure the Son of God Himself. You see, the reality is, is if you are here today and you think that you deserve something from God, then you don't completely understand the grace of God. You know, what we have, and what when you sit on Thanksgiving Day and say, God, I thank you for this, this, and this, you don't deserve any of it. But God in His love gives it to you anyway. These ten lepers, they didn't deserve healing. But but by the grace of God, He gave them healing. Let's notice the second response here of grace is the thankfulness of grace. Look, if you will, back in the text at verse 15. It says, Then one of. Them, When he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice and fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Two aspects of this. First of all, the natural reaction to God's grace is thankfulness. Is thankfulness. I want you to, as we head into this section, I want you to notice how it defines this man. It says that he was a Samaritan. And the implication here is that as I read this text and as I study this text, the implication is, is that these the other nine men were probably Jews, which made this man even more of an outcast. If it wasn't enough that he was an outcast because of his Uh, disease and an outcast because he was viewed as a sinner but he was also an outcast because he was a Samaritan and and these men allowed him to be around them probably because uh, they were lepers together and so he was allowed to be around but this man was different and so he had even greater uh, um, awareness of his uh, problem and God had cured him of this awful disease and he wanted everyone all around to know how he felt about this Uh, mercy and gracious and loving God. Notice what he does. It tells us in this passage a few things. First of all, when he saw that he was healed, he turned back and he praised God with a loud voice. There was no uh, quietly coming up and, and saying, Thank you. No, there was no kind of turning and giving him a nod, saying, yep, yeah, I see what you did, let's keep going. No, there was this sense that, that this man was so aware of how he did not deserve healing. He was so aware of, his, of, of the grace that was given to him that he wanted everyone to know. And so he turns and he yells out praise to God. And then he comes even closer That's interesting because before they were yelling because they knew they couldn't be near Jesus, but now he's healed and so he comes to Jesus' feet and he falls down and he begins to give Him praise. Now this was both humility and a recognition of the power of Christ. He was looking and he's saying, not only do I not deserve this, and so he falls at his feet, but it's a recognition that the man in front of him was God. The reality is, is that those are two essentials for spiritual cleaning as well. That we need to come humbly before God and we need to recognize that it is only through the power of God that we're saved. And he comes and he worships. He didn't care who saw him. He didn't care what they thought of him. He didn't care uh, uh, what they said about him. He didn't care because he was truly grateful for the grace of God. All he cared about is that once he was a prisoner to a crippling disease and now through the power of God he is set free. And it changed his life completely. Now we don't know this guy's name. In fact, we don't even see the rest of his story. As so many times in Scripture that's the case. But what we do know because of the way it was in that culture at this time that this man's life changed Dramatically. See, it wasn't just that his health was improved. It would have been so much more than that. It would have changed his financial status. He could now go and find a job that he couldn't have done before because of his disease. He could now go and his uh, social t- status changed. He was before he was an outcast and now uh, he is no longer an outcast. Before he was seen as the lowest form of life. And now he's seen as one who is healed by the power of God it probably even changed his familial status as i said before most of most of these lepers were were rejected even by their own family and whether he was a husband or or just a a son we don't know the the family circumstances but uh, he probably now, because of being free of this disease, meant that he could be a part of his family because the disease would have caused him to be pushed away by his family. And as I said already, that disease meant sin, and sin brought on shame upon the family. And so the natural response, a reaction to God's grace is thankfulness. But same is true for us. The natural reaction to salvation is a joyous and thankful heart just like physical grace changed this man salvation changed you in second corinthians it says therefore if anyone is in christ is a new creation the old has passed away behold the new has come you are a different person and you are changed and how are you thankful to god about that how often do you think god god i'm glad that i am changed because of your grace and power I am glad that you have forgiven me. I am glad that I am no longer an outcast because of my sin. I am no longer separated from you. I am now your son or your daughter. How is your gratefulness to the grace of God reflected in your lives? In 1 Peter, he says this, though you have not seen Him, you love Him, though you do not. Now see Him, you believe in Him. And then notice what it says, and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Let me ask you this question. Has, has your gratitude to God made you a person who constantly expresses the joy of the Lord in your life? You ever met a new Christian? I, I mean a new Christian who, who was, um, uh, lived a life that was all about themselves and suddenly they're redeemed they are set free by the grace of God, and they are a new person. They are, they are a different person. I remember when I was a kid in our church, we had a guy who was uh, saved out of, a, out of a life of crime. He, was, uh, he had many, many things wrong with him, and I remember uh, when he came to church, as, as is the case sometimes, people in our church were afraid of him because of his reputation. He got saved. And, I mean, the change in this man was, was incredible. And I remember he would walk around the church, and remember as I said, people were afraid of him because of his past, and he would walk around the church, and he would walk up to people, and he was the, like the greeter of the church. I mean, he would walk up to people and like, hey, it's so good to see you, and he'd just walk around, and people, whoa. And he lived with the joy of the Lord. Because why? Because he was so undeserving of God's grace. And yet he came to a point where he realized that God still gave him grace. And he was thankful. And that thankfulness revealed itself in joy all the time. And he lived with his happiness. Because a a Christian gets to understand that we live with the joy of the Lord in our lives and these kind of people are great to be around because they understand the joy of salvation. They're grateful because they know they have their names written in the book of life. They're grateful because they knew that once they were lost, but now they're found. Once they were blind, but now they see. These people are great to be around because they understand grace. But Some of you have been saved for many, many years and you should understand grace in a greater way. It's somehow... You've lost that joy. And there's not that thankfulness. There's not that willingness to be out there for God. To show the world, hey, I don't care what other people think, like this man. I don't care how people look down at me. I don't care what people say to, to me. I am so thankful for the grace of God in my life because it has changed me. And for this man, this leper, he just it didn't he didn't care anymore. He was so thankful for the grace of God. What about you? But I think for so many we have fallen prey to the last one, which is the forgetfulness of grace. Look at verse 17. Then Jesus answered, Were not 10 cleansed, but where are the nine. Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? Jesus had instructed the men to go to the priest and all of them had turned to do so, apparently, but only one took the trouble to come back and thank Jesus. All the lepers were blessed and should have been thankful and every one of the ten should have turned back and given thanks. But Jesus said, only one did. Because they missed the grace of God in their lives. And they and they felt like, oh, look what's happened. Now I can go on. But they had missed it. And notice how Jesus worded it. It's interesting how Jesus worded it here in this passage. Look what he says in verse 18. Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this Foreigner. Other translations use it different ways. It could be stranger. Some even call it heathen. And I don't believe that this was Jesus expressing His view of this man. I think what Jesus was doing was expressing to those around us that were listening their view of that man. And all of them were looking and saying, he's a Samaritan. And Jesus is going, well, look it. He's the only one that returned and gave thanks. This foreigner, this stranger, was the only one They came back. Ten men were healed, but only one, the foreigner, came back to give the glory to God. Jesus turns to this man and He says in verse 19, Rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. He not only had a restored body, but his, his soul had been restored as well. But the other nine forgot about the grace of God. What about you? Have you forgotten what God has done for you in salvation? Has it penetrated into your life enough and continually on a daily basis that you have forgotten to stand in awe of what He has done? Have you forgotten what He has done? When you when you forget about God, our salvation loses its joy. Loses its excitement where once there was gratitude, now there's complaining. Once you loved to be at church, now the service is too long. and pastor preaches too loud. Once you loved to sing praises to God, now you don't sing because you don't like the song or the way it's sung. Once you loved to read your Bible and you loved to, to get into the book, but now you make excuses because you don't have time. You're too busy. Once you loved to be around God's people, but now they annoy you because they got this quirk and this problem and this irritation. You know what? You've forgotten about the grace of God. Somehow your song changed from, Oh, how I love Jesus, to being a complaining tune. You have forgotten about the joy of your salvation. You have forgotten that your name is written in the book of life. You have forgotten that once you were lost, but now you are found. Once you are blind, but now you are see. You've forgotten all about grace. Now let me ask you, have you forgotten about the grace of God in your life? Or are you expressing it daily with thanksgiving? God, I don't deserve that. but Thank you. In closing, I want to tell a story that actually I've told before uh, um, just a few years ago. On September 8th, 1860, at 2 o'clock in the morning, the steamship, the Lady Elgin, that's the Lady Elgin there, the Lady Elgin collided with uh, another ship named the Augusta in the waters of Lake Michigan near Chicago. The Lady Elgin was carrying more than 300 passengers and crew, and it was on a round trip sightseeing tour from uh, Milwaukee to Chicago and then back to Milwaukee. The captain uh, didn't realize that this collision with this other ship had caused more damage than that they realized, and so they decided to continue on their journey to Milwaukee in the dark. About a half hour after the collision, the the heavy boilers and the steam engine that were below were too much for this weakened hull, and it just literally split the ship apart. Most of the passengers and crew died within minutes. A small handful were able to le- reach the lifeboats, but even some of them were, were thrown off and killed. The heavy waves had taken, as you see the upper part of this ship, the heavy waves had taken the cabin and had ripped it apart, and so some of the passengers jumped on top of this cabin and began floating away, but soon that cabin too ripped into pieces, and many were drowned, and others were grabbing onto pieces of wreckage around as, as they floated around in the rough waters. Some floated around for hours in the chilly water. Some were were being pounded towards shore and they would get to the edge of shore and then the undertow would suck them back out and they weren't able to get there. A Northwestern University student by the name of Edward Spencer was passing by the water and he saw what was happening. He saw some passengers. At this time it's now daylight. And he saw some passengers battling the waves. And Edward Spencer was an experienced swimmer and so he grabbed a rope and he tied a rope to his waist and, and he began to go into the, the, the waters and began so he would swim out to them and then when he would get to them, his friends on shore would pull them back in and he did this for six hours. And during those six hours, he was able to rescue 17 people from certain death. And finally, he re- reached the limits of his strength and his body at this point was covered in bruises and scrapes and he passed out on the shore. He woke up several hours later in his dorm room with his brother William sitting next to him and his first words he said was, William, did I do my job? Did I do my best? Although he tried to resume his studies, the physical and emotional toll on Spencer had been severe, and he never completed his education. It was almost 50 years before he returned to the university to speak of the wreckage uh, of what happened that day. After his death, his brother said a couple things interesting at his funeral. He said that, that Edward's constant private torment, over and over and over again, he would say to himself, Tell me the truth, William. Did I do my best? But here's the crazy part. William said at Edward's funeral that of those 17 people, not one ever returned to say thank you. Grace had spared their lives. Over 300 people died that day. And at least 17 were spared because of one man. That's grace. These ten lepers received grace and only one was grateful. But today, if you are a believer, you've received even greater grace than a leper or these 17 individuals. You received grace of salvation. How will you respond? Will you realize that you don't deserve it? will you be thankful or will you be like so many and you will you have forgotten the grace of God in your life let's pray god we are thankful for all that you do for us god you know that we are we're human we're sinners and so because of our sin and because of our humanness god sometimes we don't think the way that we should Lord, we think sometimes that we have achieved something because of our, our gifts, our abilities, or our goodness. But yet your word tells us over and over again that it is by the grace of God that we are saved, that it is not anything that we have done. And Lord, I pray that you will help us to, to recognize that and, and, and come before you humbly. Someone here have been saved just a short time. Maybe the grace of God is fresher in their lives and, and they see it and they, they understand it and they still taste it. Maybe some here, they've been saved for 10 years and they, they're starting to lose the wonder of Your grace. Lord. maybe there's some in here that have been saved 50, 60 years. It doesn't matter, Lord, how long we've been saved. It still is incredible, the grace that You have given us. And we still have the ability, again, through Your power to experience the grace anew every single day so lord i pray that you help us to be truly thankful for your grace we ask this in jesus name amen